I am so grateful and I am so honored to be here. And I have heard about Calvary Vista and your reputation for loving Jesus. This is a sound church. So to be invited to come and speak to you um, is my greatest joy. There's actually nowhere I'd rather be than with a group of women talking about Jesus. So I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me, Denise. I felt so much love from the moment I arrived on this campus. You ladies are so kind and so welcoming and so hospitable. And so you've already shown me, um, you've already are living out those attributes of Jesus. Um, I want to thank you for coming because you can be invited to something, but that doesn't mean that you take up the invitation, but you guys did. And I know that, um, that takes, you know, intentionality. And there was a cost involved. You bought a ticket. You had to wake up early this morning. Maybe some of you had to find babysitters. And um, I'm assuming that some of you have probably already had to confront some spiritual battle that took place this morning just to get you here. So just know that God has something very special in store for you today. I know that because I know his character. And he is a faithful God. And he desires... Um, for you to know him and to fall more in love with him. So I pray that as our time together, that that will actually indeed happen. Um, So you know my name is Melanie Brown. Denise said that. Um, Did you know that I live about mm, maybe 40, 50 miles north of you in Orange County in a town called Ladera Ranch? So I'm not too far. But I have, um, I've been married to my husband, Bob Brown, for 25 years. We actually met in high school. We were high school sweethearts. I have a prom picture with my husband in a tux. And, um, you know, we've been married for 25 years. But he says that it only feels like 25 minutes underwater. <laughs> He has a great sense of humor, but he is my biggest support and such an encouragement to me. And he called me right before we started just, you know, to pray with me. And so um, thank you for all of you guys who have prayed for me. I have felt the prayers. I have felt the peace of God. I ha- we have two adult children. Jeremiah is 24, and he's planning on moving out in just a few weeks. Uh, June 1st, he gets his place. And um, Savannah, my daughter, is 22, and she just got married. Um, It'll be two weeks tomorrow, so she is definitely a a newlywed. And so I'm still processing what it's going to be like to be an empty nester. I don't know what that's going to feel like, but I'm trying uh, to prepare myself as best I can. Um, I definitely feel like this is a new season for me. I feel a little bit shaken up that my family life, my home life is going to look a little bit differently. Um, And I think my son is really worried about me because he asks me at least three times a day, sometimes more, mom, are you going to be okay? And, you know, I, I tell him the same answer, you know, every time he asks and I say, Jeremiah, I'm trying to prepare as best I can. But I know that there's going to come that those times when I'm going to feel an emotion or a feeling that I wasn't expecting. But in that moment, I'm trusting that God is going to give me what I need when I need it in the moment. That's my confidence, right? And we serve a God who is all-sufficient. His grace abounds. That means that whatever we need, he knows. And when we need it, he'll supply it. And so that is what... Um, 
That's what I'm holding fast to. Um, So thank you for being here. I'm excited for what the Lord has in store. And I want to welcome those who maybe weren't able to maybe to sit among us, but maybe we'll watch the archive later. I believe in God's perfect timing and you know, the Holy Spirit is not limited by time and space, and so um, his word is powerful. So I want to uh, welcome you as well. I have to tell you that this theme is anointed by the Lord, to stand fast in the faith for such a time as this, ladies, right? I, this is an exhortation to all of us, and I have enjoyed so much studying this passage of Scripture especially um, in our day and age. And so what we're going to be talking about today is how a Christian woman is to stand fast in her faith, especially in a compromising world. Um, I know I need it, and so I'm so grateful that I have spent this time with the Lord. And can we all agree that the world has been rocked these last few years in a very unique way? And I say the word unique because, you know, every generation, every era has its challenges since the beginning of time. But these last few years has been very very unique challenges that we've been facing. We've experienced a worldwide pandemic. Currently, a war is being fought in Ukraine. And as a nation, we're facing tremendous economic, political, and racial division. Now, that's what's happening globally. But what has been happening personally? Perhaps your world has been shaken lately. You know, the Bible says that we all go through various trials, and I think that's true. So maybe you're here today, and you're going through something that's causing you pain or wanting to steal your peace. You're going through a trial. You're going through a difficulty I don't think there's anyone exempt from that. I think we all have levels of degree of how hot that fire of trial is, but we're all going through something. Or maybe you have recently received a diagnosis that has shaken you up. Or maybe a death of a loved one. Or maybe you're here and you're feeling kind of insecure and you're feeling kind of weak because You have either toddlers or teenagers to raise, and you need the Lord's strength. Or maybe you've had a change in a job, or you find yourself in a new season of life. That's where I am at. Well, I'm a couple of these things, actually. Um, And I'm asking the Lord to give me new vision for this new season that I'm in. You know, and all of these things that I've mentioned can trip us up. They can rattle us, and they can get us off balance. What are the circumstances in your life right now that come to your mind that are shaking you? What, what is that thing? What are those things? You know, I think when things get hard or we get hurt, our tendency is to either back down or to bow out because it's hard. The word for today, ladies, is stand fast or stand Firm in the Lord, beloved. And I'm offering you this encouragement from the great Apostle Paul. He said it first, and he said it to the Philippian church. He reminded them that they are loved by God and that he loved them too. Paul 
has been such an encouragement to me as I have sat under his teaching. Um, I know that you ladies just finished a Bible study in the letter to the Philippians. I just finished a Bible study um, in the book of Acts. And Paul is a predominant voice. And I'm telling you, when I need encouragement, I look to Paul. You know, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And his words have brought me so much comfort. It's important to recognize, ladies, that when Paul was writing this, when he was reminding the church um, to stand firm, he was, we have to recognize that he was talking to people who were feeling oppressed, who were feeling marginalized and conflicted because they were living in a very pagan society. They were tempted to compromise in order to blend in with their surroundings. It kind of sounds like our day and age, doesn't it? God's word still holds true as it did then, as it does now in 2022. When the Lord is telling us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. You know, during our time together, I would love to unpack the fullness of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, which exhorts us to watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. In other words, the Corinthians were called to be alert, firm, mature, strong, and loving. What the Lord was exhorting the early church to do, he's speaking to the current church. He's speaking to you and I. We're the church. And you know what? I want you to um, recognize something. These are five, um, you can call them imperatives. They're not suggestions. They're commands. The Lord is telling us that they're urgent commands and reminders that we need to put into action. Um, I think I want you to also keep in mind um, that you might have heard these things before. Did you know that the Bible repeats itself? And if you, I, yeah, if you guys have read through the Bible, you know. You know that there's different authors, there's different situations, different scenarios, but the same truth is given. And repetition is good. It's how we learn. And for those of you who have children um, as mothers, you know that you have to constantly be repeating yourself, right? Because there are times when your kids are just not listening. They're distracted. They're disinterested. And, and they're just not listening to you. So you have to continually repeat yourself. And I kind of feel like Peter right now, because when you read Peter's letters, he says to the church um, in his letters, he says, um, I want to remind you of some things that I know that you already know, but it's good for me to stir you up and to stir your memory up. And I kind of feel like that today because, you know, as a speaker, you're supposed to know who your audience is. And I know that you girls love God's word. I know this is a sound church. And no doubt you have heard some of the things that I'm going to present to you today. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak it in a fresh and vibrant way, that he would stir us up to action, that you would hear these things and like a switch would go off and you would be like, and have aha moments. That's what I'm praying for all of us. And so I don't want to, um, I don't want to um, apologize for what I'm going to say. The Lord says, 
give them what I gave you. And I'm like, okay. So I don't question the word he's giving me, but I'm praying. And, and I think Rachel prayed it when she was up here that we would have ears to hear what the spirit has to say, that our minds would be open and receptive, that we would think clearly, that we would truly understand the word of God and that our hearts would be supple and soft so that the word of God can take root in our hearts. That's what I'm praying for us for this morning as we unpack this. Um, you know, during one of my initial conversations with Denise, she said, my girls love to open up their Bibles. And I thought, wow, what higher compliment can you give anyone that you love the Word of God? So with that being said, would you open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. We're going to look at those two verses. And as you're, flipping over, as you're flipping through your Bible, or if you're looking at your app, there is no shame in that Bible app. I love the Bible app. I have them side by side when I'm, when I'm studying. But I want you to notice that you're turning all the way to chapter 16. Did you realize that's the end of the letter? Okay, so it's the end of the letter. And Paul has given us a lot of instruction. 16 chapters worth. So this is a summary. These five commands... Paul wants to remind us, I've said so much, but I want to end with these five warnings, these five um, um, uh, actions that I want you to be doing. And it kind of reminded me when I sent my son, when he was like in fifth grade, do you remember being, if you're an elementary school mom, do you remember when your kids go off to like to science camp or they take like a a trip to Washington, D.C.? That's what it was. He was going and on the drive to the airport, in my mind, I'm thinking, have I prepared him enough? Like, this is the first time he's going to be away from me. And, you know, it was only like a 15, 20-minute drive. And I was trying about thinking about all the things, all the important things that he needed to know. And then I just ended with, make sure you brush your teeth and remember who you are. Those were the last two things I told him. And I feel like um, that's kind of where we find Paul right now. He's already spoken so much to the church. And now he wants to tell him these five final things um, that he wants them to remember and to put into action. And if you are a note taker, which I hope you are, because I think when we write things down, it helps us to remember. The first thing he tells them to do is to watch. Watch. And I put an exclamation point on my notes. What are we supposed to be watching? Okay, (laughs) Uh, confession. I know lots of us are binge-watching Netflix. (gasps) Or if you're a Christian, pure flex, right? Um, I know that lots of us are scrolling through our social media. We're watching CNN or Fox News. We're watching those things. Um, I heard once that it's okay to check the news, but it's not okay to watch the news end, uh, you know, hours upon end. But this is the thing. When the Bible tells us to watch, he's not saying to watch as like in observe something. This watch means to be on guard or to be alert, to pay attention to. So what does the Lord want us to watch or be on guard about? I'm going to suggest Three things that all start with the letter D to help us remember. The first things that we're supposed to watch 
is our doctrine. Our doctrine. Doctrine is a set of beliefs, the teachings we cling to, the instructions we follow. That's what doctrine is. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Paul is admonishing his young protege, Timothy, to think about how he's living, the choices he's making, the words he's speaking, and he's reminding him to live intentionally. In other words, he's saying, make sure your life is in alignment with what you know to be true. Because our beliefs will have a direct effect on our behavior. And I don't want any of you to be intimidated by the word doctrine, okay? Doctrine is important to know, but I also want you to know that it just means teaching or instructions. It's the set of beliefs that we live our lives by. And we all have a set of beliefs that we live our lives by. This is my question to you, ladies. Who or what is the authority over your life? Who is the authority over your life? What is the authority over your life? Where do you go to be instructed or corrected? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. I heard this quote that says, when we open up our Bibles, God opens up his mouth. Isn't that powerful? The primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has legs. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. When we accept the Bible as God's word to us, we have a solid foundation for our doctrine. Doctrine is the view by which we govern our lives. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this concept, but actually when you think about it, there are really only two roads. There's two views of life. There's the biblical worldview, and then there's the worldview. And, you, and think of it as you choose which road you're going to travel on through life. And sometimes they run parallel. Sometimes, you know, we can agree on the things that the world agrees on, especially when it comes to morals, right? But if you follow those roads to their end, they have two very different destinations. When scripture refers to the world, it's not primarily talking about planet Earth, but rather the mindset of those who have rejected the God of the Bible and the authority of scripture. They've chosen their own path to go. They're um, walking their own way. And they've defined truth by their own terms or by the culture standards, which are constantly changing. And they live independently from God. The biblical worldview filters everything through the lens of Scripture. We believe in absolute truth and in the inerrancy of the Bible. That's what it means to have a Christian worldview. 
The, the Bible, the word of God to a Christian, we can liken it to our daily bread. We eat of it. It's our sustenance. It's our nourishment. It's how we get strong. It's our foundation. It's how we live our lives. It's the foundation in which we live our lives upon. It's the blueprint that instructs us on how to build our lives. You know, what is marriage supposed to look like? What is parenting supposed to look like? What does it mean to be, you know, um, a sister in Christ? What does it mean to be a, a worker? Like everything that we have need of um, defines, it's defined in God's word. It's our blueprint that we build with. It's a rock, and we sang about that this morning. The songs were so perfect, you know. Um, The Word of God is our rock. It is sure. It is a foundation that's immovable. And Jesus told us that if we wanted to be wise, that we would hear his teaching and that we would build our lives upon the rock, which is Jesus. And when the winds came and the waves came and um, the rain came down— It would beat on that house, but if that house was built on the rock, it it wouldn't be destroyed. It would be sustained. The word of God is our compass. It helps us navigate through life. I had to get here because we had to put in your address in our nav system. I've never been to Vista before. I don't know what I would do if I just, if I didn't have a map, if I didn't have someone giving me instructions on what, you know, freeway to take, what exit to get off on, where to turn. And it's, that's what the Bible is to us. It's our compass. It helps us navigate through this life. And I love to think about God's word as a love letter. You know, it's, our, it's a love letter. It reveals God's heart and his thoughts toward us. I told you that my daughter just got married, but when they were courting Tanner and Savannah, that's her new husband's name, but when they were just dating, Tanner would write her a love note every month for like two years. So she's got a stack of love letters. When's the last time, time someone wrote you a love letter? <laughs> right? Okay. Maybe you can write somebody a love letter, but what's so... Um, What's so wonderful about having these letters is that, you know, he tells her how much he loves her and all the things that make her special. And it's interesting because it reveals not only what he thinks about her, but it says so much about him, you know, as the one writing it, the one, the author of them, and how he would be so tender and loving that he would even want to express that to her. And the fact that it's in a letter form, she can go back and she can read those. So if she ever questions his love, she can go back to those love letters. And isn't it the same way with the word of God? We don't just read it once and say, yeah, I read that letter. No, no, no. It's a reminder, you know, of how much the Lord loves us and his plans for us. In Deuteronomy, um, Oh, last, I want to tell you this too. You know, the reason we want to know sound doctrine, because it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Because we all carry all sorts of of beliefs. And we need to trace those beliefs, trace those thoughts of what we believe and ask ourselves, why do I feel this way? Or why do I take this particular stance? And the million-dollar question is, is it biblical? What I believe, what I stand on, um, the foundation that I build my life on, is it biblical? 
In Deuteronomy 4.9, Moses gives this exhortation. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he tells them, watch out, be careful, never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live, and be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live, and they will teach their children to fear me also. Ladies, we have a responsibility to the next generation. We must guard and protect what we have and pass it on to our children and to our grandchildren. And I love looking out and seeing young faces. It's so cool that you've chosen to be here on a Saturday morning. I pray a special blessing over you girls. Um, And I remember reading that verse in Deuteronomy. It's a lot about, you know, it's like this next generation that's going to be inheriting the promise of the promised land. And, um, And I remember... God convicting my heart because at that time I was feeling like, gosh, am I just like um, always talking about Jesus to my kids and always like trying to find like a spiritual lesson in everything? And I just felt like I didn't want to overwhelm them. Do you, do you feel like those of you who have teenagers or young adults, do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, am I coming on too strong? And the Lord convicted my heart in that moment. And he said, you know, the world is not letting up on their agenda. They're bombarding our youth with their ideology. And if we as mothers don't open our mouths and speak the truth, where are our ki- how are our kids going to know? How are our kids going to know the truth? Now, as much as I want you to speak the truth and to be bold within your own household, you know what's even more effective than speaking the word of God? It's living it out. So we want to live authentic Christian lives in front of our children and our husbands. So we watch our doctrine, what we believe. These are subpoints now. Number two, we watch out for the devil. Okay? We watch out for the devil. We are to be aware of his schemes. I'm actually not a person who likes to talk about the enemy. If I could, I'd rather just ignore him. But we have to know that we have a real adversary. The Bible describes him as the accuser of the brethren. He speaks condemnation and shame. He's a liar, a murderer. And the Bible says that he's the God of this world. There are times when we see something so blatantly evil that we just know it's from Satan. But don't think for a second that he looks like a guy with a pitchfork and who wears a red jumpsuit. The Bible warns us that he masquerades as an angel of light, which means he's attractive and alluring, and he appeals to our flesh. He attempts to make sin look good and evil enticing. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates the things of God, he hates the purposes of God, and he hates you. The Lord doesn't tell us these things so that we would run in fear, but that we would apply the armor that he's provided for us in order to stand against his schemes. And I think there's going to be a workshop later dedicated to talking about the armor of God. 
So we watch out for his schemes because he does have an agenda. And his most effective tactic, ladies, the most effective tool that he has in his tool belt is to discourage us. He almost doesn't even need any other tools because discouragement um, is so effective for him. He just knows that if he can get us to have our eyes focused on our problems and our pain and to get them off Jesus, then he's won, then he's discouraged us and that we'll just, you know, bow out, we'll just quit. Be aware of that scheme if you're feeling discouraged. He distorts the truth. He's cunning and he's crafty. You know what he'll do? He'll speak like 90% truth that sounds good, and then he'll mix in 10% falsehood. That's why we have to know the word of God for ourselves so that we can discern his craftiness. And one of his tricks is to challenge God's word. We see this back in Genesis 3 when God gave clear instructions on what trees Adam and Eve could and could not eat from. The serpent slithered his way over to Eve, and he asked, Did God really say? See, the enemy tempted her to doubt God's goodness, and she decided that God's word was too restrictive, so she added her own interpretation. When we look at the explosive topics of today, whether it's on marriage, sexuality, gender, abortion— It's important, ladies, that we align ourselves with the written word of God. He is our authority. What does the Lord have to say about these things? When we add our own interpretation, we put ourselves in the place of God, personally determining what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what will bring life and what will bring death. And you know what? The Lord has already established that. That's not our job. His word hasn't changed. Isaiah 48 says that the grass withers and the flowers flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. So be aware that, um, that the enemy distorts truth, but he also wants to distract us from our calling. You know, the enemy um, is known for bringing confusion. When there's a lot of confusion, let your antenna go up. This is not from the Lord. God's not the author of confusion. The enemy is. And he knows that if he can stir up hatred um, and and he can get us to be engaged in all kinds of empty arguments that will create infighting, see, that's his agenda. That's what he wants to do that if the body of Christ turns on each other, we'll be weakened. And we can't do that. We need to stay united because we don't want to lose sight of the real enemy and what the true battle is. So be aware of that scheme as well. So we watch our doctrine. We watch out for the devil's schemes. And the third one is we watch for the day of Christ's return. That's our third D. Watch for the day of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. As Christian women, we need to remind each other that this isn't all there is. 
We need to be watching, waiting, thinking, preparing, and getting excited about the return of Jesus. Do you know that he's coming back? We need, yes, yes, and we need to be speaking that truth because the world's not speaking that. We need to be reminding each other. Sometimes we can get so focused on the here and the now, the temporary things of life, what we feel, what we see, what we taste, what we touch, that we neglect the eternal. So we are to set our minds on things above. We are called to live obediently and expectantly in the light of Christ's return. Having a watchful attitude gives us a pilgrim mentality, reminding us that we're just passing through. And when you know that Christ is going to return, it should have a purifying effect on you. And it also should have a motivating effect on you, knowing that we will be rewarded for the lives that we lived. So that's what it means to watch. Did you catch those three Ds? If you didn't, maybe you can, uh, whoever was taking notes beside you, you can, um, you can ask them if you missed one of those points. Um, but the second actual point of my message, the first one was to watch. That's the command. The second thing um, Paul's telling us is that we are to stand fast in the faith. That's my second point. The second command is to stand fast in the faith. To stand fast means to have a firm, fixed, and settled position. It's the idea of holding your ground. It's the position that we take. Alexander Hamilton is, created with, uh, is credited with this quote. He said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. In other words, if you don't have a strong conviction, you will easily accept any weak unbalanced, or biased viewpoint. So what do you stand for? What convictions do you hold? What are the things you're willing to risk your life and reputation on? Those are really good questions, and I hope immediately certain things come to your mind because there are things as believers we are called to stand for. You know, physically speaking, standing tall and strong takes intentionality. Um, I work out at the gym. It's my outlet. My, some of my best friends are my gym buddies. And um, the instructor is always telling us the importance of engaging our core. And whether you're working out your biceps or your back or your legs, she's always telling us, engage your core because that's where your strength and stability come from. And when I think about the core of Paul's life, the wonderful Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, um, his word of instruction to us, um, when I think about what his core was, it was Jesus, wasn't it? That was the stability and strength of his life, was Jesus, preaching Jesus and the gospel. He's the one who says, who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because It's the gospel that has the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He said, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith. By the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. He said, my life is worth nothing 
unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, Paul was a recipient of that wonderful miracle of grace in his life, and it completely transformed him. And because of that, he didn't shrink back from pursuing the Lord and for preaching the whole counsel of God because he wanted others to experience God's grace. And he had one core message that he stood his ground on, and it was this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And that's 1 Corinthians 15. Paul knew what to stand on. What do you stand firm on? Is it politics? I know some Christians who are more passionate about their political party than they are about Jesus. Are there traditions or preferences that you just won't budge on? Do you know that Paul was all things to all men, but he never compromised the integrity of the gospel? Are you easily swayed by the opinions of others? Do you find yourself being influenced by the culture? Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. In other words, we mustn't be more concerned about what others think about us than we are about offending God. Oswald Chambers says this, I quote, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. As Christian women, we must stand fast in our faith, what we know to be true about Jesus. You know, during COVID, the word essential became a popular buzzword. Essential means something that is absolutely necessary or extremely important, something that's fundamental. And as the church, we must stand firm on essential doctrinal truths, also known as the foundations of the faith. And we must remain flexible on non-essential matters. Um, I know you've heard this quote that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. So what do we stand firm on, ladies, as the body of Christ? It's the deity of Jesus, the deity of Christ. Quite simply, that Jesus is God. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. That's what we stand on, the deity of Christ We stand on that salvation is by grace alone, through faith faith alone, in Christ alone. That we can't earn our salvation. We can't merit heaven. It's only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. We stand on the resurrection, that the resurrection is the ultimate display of power and glory. All other religious leaders die and remain dead. The Christian faith is based on Christ crucified and resurrected back to life. See, these are the essentials that we hold our ground on. We don't budge. We don't buckle. But then, what are some non-essentials? 
And obviously, these, this is not an exhaustive list. I, I, there were other points to make, but I feel like this is important for us to hear. Some non-essential issues would be your stance on the tribulation, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib. Um, your worship styles, um, whether your church is traditional, evangelical, Pentecostal. Methods of baptism, whether you believe in being sprinkled or submerged. You know, exercising of, the, of, of spiritual gifts. These are all things that we can have differences of opinion, but we don't need to divide on. Again, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. And ladies, I, I believe that in order for us to be able to stand strong, we're going to have to learn how to first sit still. I want to read that again. In order for us to stand strong, we need to learn to sit still. I know you know the story of Mary and Martha. It's found, the fullness is found in Luke 10.39. And you know, it's a very familiar story where Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus. Jesus was coming into town. It wasn't just him. It was a whole entourage. They wanted to be hospitable. Um, They wanted to cook for him. They wanted to um, have a wonderful um, table for him that he could come and relax and eat and enjoy. And and so they were working hard to do this. But then at one point, when Mary saw that Jesus went and sat down, she went and sat down. She knew that her work in the kitchen was done. And what does Martha, her sister, do? She complains. She feels like, why are you leaving me with all the work? She even starts to um, correct Jesus and, and, and question him and say, don't you care that my sister's left me? And Jesus tells her something that we need to hear on a constant basis. You just put your name in Martha's name. Instead of saying Martha, Martha, Melanie, Melanie, you're worried and concerned about many things. But Mary, your sister, She's chosen the better part to come and sit at my feet. What is that better part? It's, it's, it's Mary knew when to say when. Mary knew to prioritize her time with Jesus. You know, um, I've heard that even good things can become bad things when they keep you from the best thing. And if there is anything in your schedule that's keeping you from having a time where you just sit with Jesus, you need to reorder and reprioritize your schedules. Because honestly, the most important thing that you can do is just to be with Jesus. The better part, prioritizing Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing his voice, giving him your full attention time and adoration and learning from him. I used to be a first grade teacher, and if any of those of you who remember, or maybe you have um, six-year-olds, they have a really short attention span. And as a first grade teacher, you never have the luxury of just sitting behind your desk. You can't just like give a lesson and then just expect them to do it. You're constantly working the room, checking over everyone's shoulders. And when I had a new concept that I needed to teach my kids... I wouldn't do it while they're all at their desks and I'm up here. There was no way I could get their attention. There was too many things happening, right? So what I would do is I would gather them to the carpet and I would be sitting on a chair and they would be at my feet where I could see their eyes. I could tell if they were looking at me and they could hear my voice. 
And um, when I picture that, that scene with Mary, I just, I, I want to picture that she was right there at Jesus' feet. You know, to be at somebody's feet is a place of submission, where you are stopping everything else and you're saying you're important enough for me to stop everything and I'm going to listen to you. And I'd like to think that she was so close that she could feel his breath on her cheek. And, you know, ladies, I, I know you know this because I know you go to a sound church and you're led by, um, by Denise. There's nothing more important than having your time with Jesus. Um, I remember when I was in my... In my 20s, I started Bible study for the first time. And I remember being around these older women, and I was so impressed by them. Just the way they prayed, there was so much power in their prayers, and the way they talked, it was like wisdom just spilled forth through their, you know, their lips, and they were so kind and so loving and so gentle and so hospitable. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be like these women. What is their secret? Well, you know what their secret is, right? Their secret was that they would prioritize being with Jesus every day in his word. And I remember a guest speaker coming to speak to our women, tell Debbie she's had an impact in my life because she introduced me to the one-year Bible. And you know, the thing about the one-year Bible, it's not like some magical Bible. It's, it's a Bible, but what's so great about it is that it um, organizes things for you. So you can just go to the day, Old Testament, New Testament, Proverbs, Psalm, and you have it all organized for you. And, you know, I thought, okay, if that's what it takes to look like that girl and sound like that woman, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember in January feeling so gung-ho. And, you know, you start off with Genesis. Who doesn't love Genesis? You know, it's the creation story, right? It's Adam and Eve. It's Noah and the flood. It's Abraham and Joseph. And then came Exodus. Well, Exodus is just as equally engaging, right? It's the parting of the Red Sea. It's, um, you know, Moses leading the children of Israel out of bondage of Egypt into the promised land. But then came Leviticus. (laughs) You're laughing because you know, right? Leviticus with all its laws and lists of genealogies. And I remember, it's like, I think it's about March, where I just like, I can't do this. <laughs> and I would give up. And it just felt like drudgery to me, honest, if I'm honest. But then, you know, I would say, no, I'm going to try this again. I'm a, I'm a disciplined person. I embrace discipline. So I said, no, I'm going to do this. And so I would start back up again. And you know, when I say the word discipline, sometimes people cringe at the word discipline. Can I tell you, embrace discipline as your friend. Because discipline is what keeps you on the right road when you want to go off and go on the wrong path. Okay? Embrace discipline. And for a long time, ladies, it was my discipline to start my morning in the word. Okay? And I don't know when it happened. I can't tell you the day. But it happened to where what was once drudgery, like what? I've got to read what? That then became my discipline. This is what I'm going to do every day. Became my delight. And you know, I can't imagine starting the day without Jesus. We have a coffee date every morning. 
And you will never regret the time that you spend in his word. And I'm going to warn you, there are some times you'll read things and you're like, nope, not feeling it. I don't think this is for me. But hide it in your heart. Tuck it away. Because it might not be for you that particular day, but it might be a word that the Lord will remind you later. Or it might be a word that you give to others. I believe that you, if you are a woman of the word, that you will be a woman with a word. Does that make sense? You'll have God's word stored up so that when your sister is hurting or there's a difficulty or a crisis, you'll know what you'll need to say when you need to say it. Anxiety, fear, and frustration can run rampant in our minds, our hearts, and our lives, not to mention, you know, just what's happening in our country and in our culture. I think we're all feeling a degree of that stress, aren't we? Honestly, in order not to lose our minds, we're going to have to be intentional about positioning ourselves every day to hear from Jesus, to sit at his feet so we can be settled in our spirits, prepared, strengthened, and equipped for whatever he's called us to do. And we're only going to be able to stand strong and know what to stand for when we've made time to sit at his feet. Because how else are we going to know what battles we're supposed to fight? Well, how are we going to know what we're supposed to stand for if we don't know the, God, the Lord's heart on these issues? Jesus said, um, Jesus said that, you know, he calls us his sheep. He's our great shepherd. And he says, my sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How well do you know the voice of your good shepherd. There is so much noise nowadays. It's going to be so important for us to be able to discern his voice amongst all the other voices that are vying for attention, that are yelling at us, texting us, blasting us, right? Can I ask you a question? Who are you listening to? Who is the predominant voice and opinion that you're giving your ear to? I've noticed that people will repeat what they've been exposed to. So when we saturate ourselves in Scripture, in truth, it's going to fill our hearts. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if you are feeding on the promises of God, you will speak statements of truth, and that will fuel your faith. In closing... um, You know, we've talked about standing firm in our faith. We've talked about the importance of knowing what we believe, our doctrine, the set of rules we live our life by, the importance of God's word as a Christian woman. But can I offer you some just examples of application of maybe what this looks like, how we stand fast in our faith? It's examples like this. It's when your heart is breaking from grief and you trust that God is aware of your pain and your sorrow and that he's bottling all of your tears. And you stand on the promise that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's when you're shocked by a sudden and unexpected death of a loved one and you believe that God is still good. And you stand on the promise that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. And death is not the end. 
It's when you have a prodigal child and you don't give up hope for their return because you stand in faith believing that the work that God has started in them, that he is faithful to complete, that story isn't over. It's when you're overwhelmed by the craziness of the world and you intentionally look up to lock eyes with Jesus and you stand in faith recognizing that God is sovereign and he is still on his throne and in control. It's when you find yourself disoriented because you're in a place where you didn't expect to be, whether it's from divorce, separation, loss of a job, or you're in a new season of life, and you can stand on the promise of God that he has good plans for you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. That's how we stand, ladies. That's how we take his promises, and we can stand firm. So we've talked about, you know, standing firm on his word, his character and his promises. In this session, we've talked about what it is to watch and to stand fast. And later this afternoon, um, we're going to unpack the rest of that, um, the rest of that verse that says that we are to be strong and courageous and that we're to do everything in love. So come back after lunch, okay? Because that's going to be the second part of my message. But um, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We receive it, God. Thank you for giving us um, this time where we can sit at your feet and hear your word. Father, there's a lot to process, but we're not alone. Um, Your Holy Spirit is working these things in us. And I pray that there would be opportunities for my sisters to talk through these things, that uh, we would learn how to apply them. I just thank you for the work that you've started, God, and I'm excited for the unfolding of this afternoon and all the things that you have in store for us as we continue to worship, to fellowship, to eat of your word, to digest it all, and then to be able to live it out, God. That's our aim. That's our goal. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.